First of all, as we start, a warning. Today's episode contains discussion of childhood sexual assault. This is an important conversation to have, but I understand it might be tough for some of you to listen to this one. Some stories just don't end. They fade away from the attention of reporters and their audiences, and some people forget them. And most of the time, when that happens, the bad people win. You may have thought that the sex abuse scandal in the Roman Catholic Church had been broken open in hundreds of different ways. You might have thought that horrible secrets had all come to light, that abusers had been shamed and prosecuted, and that the cover-ups had been uncovered and all of that. There's been no shortage of exposés. There's been no shortage of movies. And yet every time that you want to hope that it's over, that everything is out there, another reporter digs in or another victim finally feels brave enough to come forward. And we learn even more about just how far some officials were prepared to go to keep this all a secret and how many more people were abused because of that. When I was 13 years of age, Father Michael Falona of the Brazilian Order sexually abused me. I didn't have any friends. It was a new school. My father wasn't there. He targeted me from the beginning. It was in increments, escalating, taking longer, pulling me closer, putting me on his lap. And at the time, I thought this was somebody caring about me. It was something intimate in a, you know, in a strange way. I would say he took my life. I would say he murdered my soul. Somebody must have known that this was going on. And yet, it just, it just continued and continued. That's why we can't afford to stop covering this story, because every time it disappears from the headlines, there are people out there who sigh in relief because they hope that it means their crimes will stay hidden, that their victims will stay quiet. So just how deep does the corruption in this church go in Canada? Who are the Basilian Fathers? And what are we learning about their past and their present? I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. Adrian Gobriel is a reporter for City News in Toronto. He's also the lead reporter on a new documentary called Unrepentant. Hello, Adrian. Hi, Jordan. How are you? I'm doing all right. Before we get into uh, the story. It's a tough one. It's a tough one to tell. Um, explain where Unrepentant began. What started it and what is it? It's an, it's, it's an investigation into one of the most historic orders of Catholic priests in Canada. They've been here since the late 1800s. Their name is the Basilian Fathers and their mission, their calling is to teach. And they've run schools straight across Canada, across North America, into South America, so we're looking at schools from, from you know, from Ottawa to Calgary, Sault Ste. Marie, Toronto, Sudbury, Rochester, Texas, Mexico, Columbia. They have ties to St. Lucia. So that's what Unrepentant uh, has began to uncover secrets and silence by this order of Catholic priests. But where it all began is November 2018. Uh, I get a call one day to head down to St. Mike's college school, the prestigious all-boys private school, which has uh, produced many NHL hockey players for decades now. That school to this day is still run by the Basilian Fathers. 
And I get sent down there because there's a horrible, there's reports of a, of a horrible inc- uh, incident involving children in a locker room. And the football team has been disbanded and sports teams are being disbanded. And so I go down there and I end up breaking the story that day that unfortunately, tragically, a, a young boy was was raped by another student with a broomstick in the football locker room. And so I thought I knew the story that I was covering then. And I, I covered that story in depth for weeks. And one of the stories afterwards was talking with alumni about, you know, the culture at the school. And an alumni said to me, hey, have you ever heard of Father Leo Campbell? And I said, no, I've never heard of Father Leo Campbell. And he said, you just look into him. He was the principal while I was here. He came back for a second tour of duty as the head of spiritual guidance as chaplain and to teach religion in the late 90s and into the early 2000s. And I've heard some things. And that was it. And so we started to look into Father Leo Campbell. And we started almost peeling back layers of an onion. And there was just more and more and more allegations against this priest who was moved and taught at schools in Saskatoon, in Sault Ste. Marie, uh, in Toronto, at parishes, you know, all over the place. And what we found was absolutely shocking. And we then got our hands on documents, secret documents, documents that have been ordered to be destroyed, that were supposed to be destroyed years earlier that detail Father Leo Campbell's allegations of abuse with multiple children and how he admitted to having sexual interactions with with young boys on multiple occasions and was still allowed to go and teach. And we have his medical files where he was sent to a Catholic treatment center north of Toronto and where he was it was recommended he, you know, stay for three months. He's there for just 10 days. And then they let him go and teach in another school. So that's the Coles Notes background on how we came to this film, this documentary on Repentant, which is also being a, an 11-part news series that we're currently rolling out on City News that people can go on citynews.ca and click and look at our exhaustive research. We share files and documents, and it's all coming together with our one-hour documentary, original investigative, investigative film Unrepentant. Before we unravel exactly what happened here, tell me a little bit about the allegations that you heard from people when you started asking questions. So one individual who is the main focal point of our investigation, a survivor uh, who tells us he was sexually assaulted by Father Leo Campbell, his name's Peter Lucci. And I sat down with Peter and he told me his story of abuse. He was He's a Toronto boy. Uh, whose family came into some hard times. His father went back to Italy. Uh, His mother and sister stayed in Toronto, but they couldn't handle Peter and his brothers. So Peter and his brothers were sent to Sault Ste. Marie uh, uh, to a school called St. Mary's. And Father Leo Campbell knew of Peter Lucci's home situation and began, you know, to to groom him, according to Peter. Uh, He began to say, it's okay, I know your, your father's not with you, your family's not with you, I'm here, I'll help you. And at first, Peter really, you know, enjoyed this attention. He was away from home, he didn't have any friends, he's at a brand new school, and here's this Catholic priest, and Peter Camp comes from a Catholic family where, you know, a priest is, is you know, someone that you hold in high regard. And, and the sexual abuse slowly started, and it gets really graphic. 
Um, and it escalated to the point where he was being raped by this priest. Uh, it escalates to a point where Peter is being taken on camping trips with other boys uh, in Ontario and being raped in a tent by this priest. Um, tough, tough stuff to hear. Very difficult things to to share with the public. But, you know, I constantly remind myself just how brave someone is like Peter Lucci to step forward and to share his story. It's the first time he's ever shared his story publicly. And uh, it's a story that he hopes reaches lots and lots of people. Why did he decide to share it after so long? He, Peter, it reached a point, you know, he lived in silence. And just like almost every single survivor we've spoken to as part of this investigation, uh, survivors of, of clergy sexual abuse, they live in silence for decades. Peter lived in silence for more than 20 years. Uh, just like others, he thought that he brought this upon himself, uh, that he was somehow... Uh, you know, had initiated this. And it wasn't until years later, which we can get into, when he comes face to face with Father Leo Campbell at a friend's wedding and confronts him, does he finally tell his wife what happened. So the why did he speak with us? Peter reached a point in his life after, after years and years of therapy, after, you know, a broken marriage because of what he went through, after drug abuse and alcohol abuse and trying to commit suicide multiple times where he found the strength that he wanted to share his story. He wanted, he wants other survivors to know that they're not alone because he thought he was alone for so many years. Uh, he thought that uh, he wants to speak up because he wants the world to know what's taken place. And this isn't just a problem south of the border. This isn't just a problem, uh, you know, uh, you know, across the ocean, you know, overseas in Ireland and other, other pockets of Europe. This is a problem right here in Canada as well, and he has a story to tell. So Peter is the main character, uh, so to speak, in this feature. But give me a sense of the scope uh, of the allegations that you heard. Um, was it just uh, Father Campbell? Were there other Basilian priests involved? You know, how, how damaging is this? So from our investigations that what we've been able to uncover thus far, we have found and uncovered 14 Basilian priests who either have credible allegations of child sexual assault against them or have been convicted. And that number could potentially grow. Our new series launched last week, and since it launched, we've been hearing from survivors who have also been living in silence, people who claim that they were sexually assaulted, and we're hearing names of new Basilian priests that we've never heard before. So, you know, the Basilian fathers in some corners might be looked at as this this small little Catholic order. You know, historically they've had, you know, upwards of 300 priests. Um, but as I mentioned, their reach has been, has been global, has been international. And it's an organization that is big, big business as well. They own some of the most lucrative property in the Canada's largest city right here in Toronto. They're currently developing multi-million dollar condos, one just off of Bay Street, uh, on St. Joseph, another up at Bathurst and St. Clair near the, the grounds of St. Michael's College School. These guys are big business and they're multinational. And we have found multiple priests within this organization for decades who have been leveled with allegations of child sexual assault. And it wasn't just Father Leo Campbell who was moved around. There's multiple Basilian priests who they knew of historically 
had credible allegations against them. And instead of calling police, instead of contacting Children's Aid, these investigations were dealt with internally and priests were moved and moved and moved again. And you back this up uh, with documents that you've obtained. Tell me about those. Yeah, the, doc- the documents that we've obtained are, are, are pretty significant to the backbone of our investigation. You know, inside these documents, it's, it's shocking. You know, when you, you read, you know, that a priest, in his own words, admits, you know, to sexually assaulting children, and he's moved again. So there are admissions of guilt in here? There is admissions of... What are they? Can you just describe what they are, maybe? Some of the secret documents we've uncovered include files on, when we're looking at Father Leo Campbell, for example, it's right back to all of his paperwork before he ever entered the seminary, before he was he was ever uh, ordained as a Catholic priest. We have, you know, his letters uh, that of why he wanted to be a priest in his own handwriting. And he says, I wanted to be a priest to love, to love and to teach. And he has his list of, of recommendations, you know, for them to contact. And one of the individuals who, who he instructs the Basilians to contact on his resume, basically, in his cover letter for wanting to be a priest, is a gentleman named Father William Hod Marshall, who is a Basilian priest who would later be convicted and admit to sexually assaulting 17 children across North America. From there, we have Father Campbell's paperwork as he's ordained to become a Catholic priest. And then we have his first allegations, you know, allegations dating back several decades now to a a young child coming forward, claiming that they were sexually assaulted. Now, he admits to sexually assaulting them, but he says that, well, he, he admits to having sexual interaction with them. He admits to fondling their genitals, but he blames it on because there was there was a lack of sleeping space at the at the place where this took the, where this happened. And so he ended up sleeping with a 14-year-old boy beside him in the bed and that the boy initiated the kissing and that he then went along with it and fondled his genitals. Years when there's another allegation comes forward, he gives them the exact same excuse, but this time for another child. And so and then through that we have in the paperwork where doctors are saying and the Basilian, to the Basilians and to the to the top officials, uh, you know, there's no reason that we should have to stop him from teaching. It's okay. Let him go and teach. You know, so, and and through those, during these, these allegations as they're coming up, we can pinpoint on his timeline, oh, after that allegation of sexual assault, he was allowed to go to St. Mary's and teach, and that's where he met Peter Lucci, one of our main characters. Oh, and, you know, then they pulled him out. He, he was eventually elevated to become the principal of St. Mike's College School here in Toronto. He got pulled out as principal because of another allegation of sexual assault at a different school. And yet they still allowed him to go back to St. Mike's in the late 90s and 2000 to lead students in spiritual guidance as chaplain. I've since learned that during his second tour at St. Mike's, he would give the Our Father prayers for the Junior A buzzers, and he was allowed to travel with that hockey team. And so here we have the details of multiple Basilian priests who were allowed time and time again to be around children. And unfortunately, you know, there's there's people, there's lawyers, there's survivors who are asking, why is this organization, why is this Catholic order still 
allowed to run schools in our country and across North America? Why are they still entrusted with the safety of hundreds and thousands of our children? What happened to Father Campbell? I realize that uh, he was never charged or convicted. Is he still around? Were you able to ask him or anyone around him about this? So Father Campbell, there's, there's, there's multiple twists in our documentary film Unrepentant, which is about to air on City TV at 10 p.m. And one of the twists is that when Peter Lucci finally was had the strength to, to go get help, to tell his wife what had happened. He's, he's, Peter Lucci is interviewed by a, uh, by a bacillion because this is, they don't call police. They send their own bacillion priest to do the investigation. That bacillion priest writes a report, finds Peter Lucci's claims to be credible. He then uh, interviews Father Campbell. Father Campbell then says that he's, uh, th- it's in the report, it states that Father Campbell notes that he's nervous about how this will affect his future as a priest. So this report is filed, Peter Lucci's report is filed to the vicar general, who's one of the top-ranking bacillians of the time. And three days later, Father Campbell mysteriously dies. What do you mean mysteriously? Peter Lucci was never told how he died. Uh, Recently, in just the last few days, I've spoken with Father Campbell's family. He has multiple siblings. they're, They're originally from Nova Scotia. Many of them are in Ontario now. They were never given a cause of death, according to multiple family members. According to uh, a family member I spoke with, they said that they asked for Father Campbell's body uh, after he passed away so that they could perform an autopsy and get a report on his cause of death. And according to the family, now this is, has not been confirmed, that uh, the Basilians refused to release the body. And they refused to let him be flown back to Nova Scotia to be put in a family burial plot. They said he's a brother of the Basilians, and he's now buried here just in the north end of Toronto. So we reached out to the Basilians to ask them how Father Campbell died. And the answer that they told us was that he died of heart failure. Some might think that that could be a calculated answer. Heart failure can be lots of different things. And so no one has ever just come out and said, How did Father Campbell die just three days after an official report was filed against him? So you asked the Basilians about his death. You must have asked them about um, everything that you found out. What kind of answers did you get? Answers were few and far between, and many questions remain unanswered. Uh, We reached out to the Basilians' vicar general, current vicar general, a gentleman named Father David Katolsky. He's also the contact for media. He's also the individual who survivors of sexual assault are supposed to bring their claims to should they have been assaulted by a Basilian priest. Uh, We emailed him multiple times. He refused to answer our emails. He never responded. Though we did receive multiple emails from the Basilian's lawyer. And we went back and forth. We had many off-the-record private phone calls trying to convince them why we want to speak with them. And really, as a journalist, it's about fair representation. It's about giving them an opportunity to speak, give them an opportunity to tell us how they're now doing things differently, give us an opportunity, give them an opportunity to apologize to to students, to survivors. Uh, They would not answer any of our questions on camera. They instead asked us to send them a list of questions where they refused to speak about specific priests. So they didn't answer any questions about Father Campbell or any questions about Father Hod Marshall or any questions about Father Michael Falona, who's another priest that we get into uh, in our documentary. They answered uh, 
they, they, they sent us a statement which talked about policies and procedures that they now have in place. And we've included them and they say, you know, now that they, they have policies which, you know, uh, you know, negate opportunities. They do psychological assessments with their priests, a lot of them before they hire them and bring them into the basilians. They have different reporting practices in place. You know, I'll, I'll, two things about their statement. You know, we in our news series, we speak with a, uh, a Catholic nun, Sister Noala Kenny, who's at the forefront of sexual assaults out in the East Coast. And uh, she says, you know, the, the Catholic Church has done a lot when it comes to policies and procedures. But it's time now for meaningful atonement. And that just seems to not be happening. There's, you know, you speak to these survivors, speak with survivors who were sexually assaulted by, who say they were sexually assaulted by Basilian priests, and they never get an apology. Um, interestingly enough, this past weekend, uh, we're, you know, about six days into our multi-day series on the Basilian Fathers, and just a, just before the launch of and the premiere of our documentary, we received another statement from the Basilians, this time from the Superior General of the Basilian Fathers, and I, I just received the email, and where he says in his statement that the handling of child sexual assaults has been done, you know, they've been really poorly handled by the Basilians, and they have policies in place now to make sure that this doesn't happen again, and that they ask for forgiveness, and they want everyone to know that they're going to try and do better. Um, it seems like a very genuine email, but, you know, uh, we, we've reached. We've re been speaking with them for months and months and months, and they wouldn't give us any time. And then, multiple days into a news series, on the eve of a documentary, we get a statement, and it leaves you kind of scratching your head. And you know, when it comes to survivors who I've spoken with about this email that we just got, they're like, "It's it's nice that they're apologizing to you, Adrian, in an email, but what about us? What about the survivors? Why don't they pick up the phone and and call us?" and say sorry, because that's really what so many of these survivors want. They're not looking for money. They're not looking to to be dragged through years of litigation and be re-victimized. They just want an apology and acknowledgement, and they want to see change. And that's what a lot of this is about. This is about trying to bring change. This is about trying to let survivors know that they're not alone and that there's others out there and there's, there's support for them. So what happens, uh, hopefully, after the documentary airs, as uh, you finish your new series, you mentioned earlier, briefly, that you're you're still getting new people coming forward now. In an ideal world, uh, what does this lead to? In an ideal world, this leads to more than just policies and procedures from the Basilian Fathers. This leads to real action. In an ideal world, this leads to serious questions and re-examination of who we entrust the safety of our children to in Canada, and if an order like the Basilian Fathers are going to continue to be allowed to run schools, well, how are they promising that they're going to do things differently? But most importantly, this is about hearing from more survivors. And it's not even about us doing more stories and more exclusives and more content and bringing more stories to light. It's really just about survivors who've been living in silence alone for years, struggling in torment. It's about them realizing that it wasn't their fault as a child, that they didn't do anything wrong, and that there's help out there for them. And we've already received some emails from, from individuals who said that, you know, I sat on this for many years and it's been very difficult and, 
just that in itself makes this some of the most meaningful work that I've ever done. Adrian, thank you so much for this work and for stopping to talk to us about it. My pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Adrian Gobriel of City News. Unrepentant is part of the Veracity documentary series, and it premieres across Canada tonight at 10 p.m. Eastern or 9 o'clock Central Time on City TV. You can set your PVR, but you can also stream it for free anytime online after that at citytv.com. That was The Big Story. If you'd like more, head to thebigstorypodcast.ca. Find us on Twitter at thebigstoryfpn. Email us at thebigstorypodcast, all one word, all lowercase, at rci.rogers.com. And of course, this podcast is wherever you get your podcasts. Leave us a rating, leave us a review, hit subscribe, tell your friends, all that good stuff. Thanks for listening. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. We'll talk tomorrow. 